Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner, and this week we're going to talk about gods and aliens. We're going to talk about what you believe and why you believe what you believe, and maybe a little bit about what is our interest in contacting superpowers anyway. What is this particular fascination we have, not only with aliens, and I don't mean people from other countries uh, who arrived without papers, I'm talking about from other planets, right, uh, where it has taken on new meaning in the last decade, but uh, the idea of an alien being a human being from another planet or another solar system or another galaxy an alien being, what is our interest in aliens and UFOs? For that matter, what is our interest in superheroes? Why do we love the idea of superheroes, of aliens, who of course would have superpowers? And how does that tie into our longing to reconnect or to know God or the gods in heaven? And have they not been conflated? Are not superheroes and aliens and gods, at least in one sense of the word, all part of our longing to contact a higher power? And what is at the root of that? Okay, going way beyond religion today to the widest reaches of your imagination to see if you can come in touch with this feeling that you've been abandoned. I think, <laughs> I really think that's a good place to begin, where we feel like we're the aliens. Now, I'd like you just to take a breath and relax even more than you already are. Uh, and let your emotions become even more calm and your mental nature become even more quiet. And allow yourself to remember times when you felt like you were the alien, when you felt like you were on the wrong planet. This earth planet, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Ever feel that way? I bet you have. I bet you have. Maybe you just never described it quite that way, but feeling like this is a crazy planet. I don't feel like I belong here. On, on this planet Earth, uh, we have enough food to feed everybody, but a third of the world is hungry, most of them children. There's something wrong here. Um, we could use a fraction of the money that we spend on war to solve all the problems that cause war and prevent the slaughter, the bloodshed, the suffering, and the trauma of war. But war is very profitable for some people, and uh, so the war continues. Uh, even now that the United States, for example, is not warring against a particular nation, 
but against an idea. Uh, We've declared war against terrorism, against a tactic, um, against a criminal enterprise, uh, a mafia, for example, of a few thousand people. And we build battleships, but the enemy has no battleships. And we build bombers and drones, but the enemy has no bombers. And it uh, can't be isolated into a particular city or, or region, and yet the war continues. It looks like what we're moving into in our lifetimes as we move into this 21st century is a period of perpetual war, perpetual global war, because it's very profitable making the weapons and exploding things, so you have to make more things to replace them, things that explode and explode other things. And it's so perverse, it's so twisted that I know many of the people who would listen to a program like this at times feel like we're the aliens, we're on on the wrong planet. There's war here. People people fly around the world and think that if they love their country, they should go 12 time zones away and shoot at strangers, people they've never even met, and they're really not sure why. Um, it's it's uh, such a dilemma that many people refuse to think about it for very long. If they begin to feel alienated, they find it just too uncomfortable. I should say we, because I feel the same temptation, which is look away, run away, go the other way. Don't face the horror of uh, living on this planet. Then you have the natural disasters, like what has just happened in Haiti. I was talking to some friends about this early this morning. The um, the the tendency to look away, uh, to get filled up and say, I can't handle any more disaster, any more pain, or any more suffering. And yet to know that part of that may feel like self-preservation, but part of it is just denial and having to deal with the feelings of helplessness and the fact that there are people like Rush Limbaugh on the radio that say this is all a scam, that you should not give any money. I don't know if you heard this about Limbaugh, but he just gets sicker and more twisted all the time. Nobody should give money to Haiti because it's part of Barack Obama's plan to curry favor with the black community. You've got to be a racist to find any appeal in that. Barack Obama's already got 98% support in the black community, so he doesn't need to curry favor. But what a cynical and twisted and perverse uh, point of view. And this man gets paid $33 million a year to destroy society. And to, and to cause so much hurt and suffering. So who's the alien? This isn't politics. Sometimes it sounds like I'm talking politics. This is not politics. Who's the alien here? What the hell is wrong with us? I think 
in part anyway, the frustration we feel around Haiti, for example, around the fact that Barack Obama promised to end war, and then he's sending more troops to Afghanistan. He promised to close Gitmo and hasn't done it. He promised to stop Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and he hasn't done that. Uh, he promised to fix the corruption on Wall Street, and he put in the positions of power the same people that got us into this mess. And again, a cynic would turn on Barack and say, you've let us down, you failed us, and I think he's only the president. He can't do what he thought he could do. He got into office and found out what every other president finds out, which is you're only the president, you're not really running the show. Um, now we have the Supreme Court decision this week. We're full of current events, aren't we? That says corporations can spend as much money to influence elections as possible. Uh, so that's pretty much the end of democracy. Things are looking pretty bad. And yet I do believe in Obama's message, the audacity of hope. Uh, I've always believed in hope. Um, hope springs eternal. And besides, in a sense, we really have no choice. Whether we feel that we are the aliens on this planet, we feel alienated and separated and alone and abandoned. That's another way of describing it, just the feeling that you've been abandoned here and you don't want to be here and now want to get out of here. I want to go to a place where people are dignified and respectful and kind and gentle. What's what's wrong with that? Why can't I have that? Why does there have to be so, so much hate and so much ignorance and so much fear and divisiveness and hostility? So I think in this we have this longing for a universe where there are superpowers, a universe where there are superheroes, where Superman or Spider-Man or Batman uh, or Catwoman uh, <laughs> or, or whoever you got, Supergirl, can come and save the day. Now, you might think I'm joking, but I'm really not. The popularity of superheroes in comic books, in film, in our mythology, is significant. And I think it's very similar, parallel, if not part and parcel of, the longing for alien contact. Will not the Space Brothers come and save us? Please help somebody. You know, those people in Haiti asking for help and the specter, well, I'll always remember the same situation in New Orleans after Katrina. We need some help down here. Could we have a little help, please? Is there somebody, please, someplace that maybe just had a bottle of water you could share? And we're sitting fat and sassy in front of our giant TV screens, um, unable to help unable to do anything, expecting our government to help, except that at the time we had elected a government that doesn't believe in government. 
And the Republicans are really good at proving that government doesn't work because they dismantle it. And increasingly, the Democrats are doing the same thing. I don't want to be partisan about this. The corruption <laughs> is pretty widespread. And so I don't think as as individuals who are experiencing a spiritual longing as well, you wouldn't be listening to this program if you didn't have a longing in your heart and mind to contact a higher power, to know God, for example, or to follow this urge to reconnect. And I think we need to look at our belief in gods and the aliens, that's our topic today, gods and aliens. Take a look at what you believe and why you believe in invisible higher powers if we're going to move forward, if we're going to have success at separating superstition from personal experience, from objective fact. One of the things, for example, that distresses me, that I see a lot, are these uh, binary thinkers. I guess that's the new term for it. I used to call them either-or thinkers, everything-or-nothing thinkers. Um, in the computer age of zeros and ones, everything's on or off. Uh, binary thinking is a pretty good term for these people. And so in this area we're discussing today, the, the, the binary paradigm, of course, is do you believe in God or not? I'm sorry, it's quite likely that two is not enough choices. So we parse that. We've got, well, do you not believe in God as an atheist, an atheist, anti religion, anti-theist, or as an agnostic, an a-gnosis, not knowing. Right? So the atheist knows there is no God. The agnostic isn't sure. And then there are people who say they know. Well, come on. How could you know? If we're going to be intellectually honest with ourselves, don't we have to admit that we're all agnostic when it comes to the idea of alien races, higher power, invisible gods, or a god. And the religious people, of course, they're ready. They've got a whole rap already prepared about faith and that you need to have faith in in matters where there may not be enough objective science or enough objective facts to make a case, you're just going to have to believe. Well, you know, I don't, I don't, I have a little problem with that. I think, and this may speak to the, the central point of this whole seminar today, webinar class, the nature of faith. Is the nature of faith to believe what some religious person is telling you is true, maybe literally, 
maybe they concede that it's only allegory, but it's a rich and meaningful allegory. That's usually where I come from, week after week, talking about spirituality and spiritual development to students who are interested in such things. And I do that as a teacher, but more as a dedicated student. I'll always be a student first and a teacher second. I like that saying, uh, he or she who teaches learns twice. And I would hope that you're all teachers and share your knowledge, whatever the particular curriculum might be. I think we're all agnostic to some degree. If we're going to be intellectually honest with ourselves, we have to be somewhat agnostic, meaning I just don't know. There are limits on what I know. But my understanding, speaking only for myself now, not speaking for anybody at this point but me, is that faith has less to do with believe church dogma and doctrine or the temple or the mosque or the holy books or what the preachers have to say. But consider that faith is a result of a relationship that you have with yourself. A a dedicated, purposeful relationship with the part of you that aspires to be more, that has within us, that recognizes in self a potential that we've just begun to tap into, that says maybe we are the superheroes, maybe we are the aliens. Uh, maybe the second coming is a wake-up call, an awakening, a realization, a self-realization, but en masse, at least some significant number of people, realizing that the divinity that we're looking for we already have, and it's in us, and comes forth according to our development of consciousness and behavior, that we are our own salvation, that we are the gods and the aliens, and that our hope has to be in ourselves. First, in yourself, your higher self. We have to face the ego self, the tendency of the ego to have a shadow self, a dark side, a ability or a willingness to do some horrible and unspeakable things. That is in every human being. But there is also, to a much greater degree, this wondrous capacity to sacrifice, to give, uh, to reorient your purpose toward being of service to other people. So much of what we see in politics can be reframed from Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, those kinds of traditional models, to a really cultural position of the old way of violence 
and selfishness, we'll just say self-interest. And a nonviolent approach to an interest in a higher self, a capital S self, that, that has an awareness of capital S self as inclusive of other human beings, not only in your family, but in your neighborhood, your community, your state, your nation, and your world until you have developed an awareness of that higher capital S self that recognizes humanity as a single family. And if somebody suffers an injustice anywhere in the world, somebody in your family is suffering an injustice, and what are you going to do? Just sit there? Right? How can you do that? It's not that self-interest is bad. It's that self-interest comes in varying degrees or frequencies, the lowest of which, the egoic self or the false self, the separated self, thinks only of its self, its separated, lonely, alienated existence, and what's in it for me. As you pursue the longing that's in your hearts and your minds, to a large extent in your heart, it's been called divine homesickness. Isn't that a nice term? This desire, as I'm titling it today, for gods and aliens and superpowers and won't somebody come and save us? If you pursue that, you'll find the salvation is within. The Christ, your Redeemer, is inside you. The Buddha nature of the higher self is already within each of us. And it's our job to bring it forth, not to stand around and wait for the spaceships to bring the space brothers or to wait for um, some Messiah or Savior to descend on a cloud. Enough waiting. How about Carpe Diem? Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. Much has been said about this being a new age, the Aquarian age. An apocalyptic age where the old way dies, and some would say, yes, and a new age is born, rising like a phoenix out of the ashes of the old, a new age, an Aquarian age. I would argue that that's not something that's going to just happen to you, but an opportunity that's being presented to you. An opportunity that we have to seize, that we have to stand open and receptive to, but then embrace that opportunity like cold clay. You're going to massage it to warm it up and get it to be softer and more malleable. You know, you got to work with it. And though these are incredibly difficult times that we live in, challenging times 
for the reasons I've mentioned and many others, we have this opportunity. You know, they say it's always darkest before the dawn. I think there are enough desperate people and enough people living on the edge to say, I'm tired of waiting for other people to make my life work. I'm not only tired of it, uh, I'm desperately frantic to have somebody save me, and I'm beginning to realize that that's going to have to be me in some higher form, some refined version of self that is not separated and alienated, some capital S higher version of self that is inclusive and sees his or her fate as being inextricably linked to the fate, to the welfare of humanity at large. So I don't think self-interest is a problem. It's which self? The separated, the selfish self? Or the harmonious, inclusive, higher self? That doesn't see an either-or and doesn't disconnect from the greater good but feels as if you're part of the greater good. I think it's the higher self that we're longing for when we're interested in aliens and the higher self is not going to arrive on a UFO. I think it's the higher self in you right now that you're standing on the verge of developing and bringing forth, particularly as you understand the way love and understanding vanquishes fear and ignorance, that you will bring forth this higher self that replaces that feeling of alienation. And, you know, in the newsletter this week, I was talking a little bit about the Eric Von Daniken uh, classic that was written in the late 60s, The Chariot of the Gods, and how he has held forth, he brought forth what he said was a, uh, a lot of evidence that this planet Earth has been visited in ancient times, perhaps many times, by space aliens. And I won't go over the whole theorem, and all the all the evidence because the book has sold tens of millions of copies all over the world. It's as well known in India as it as it is in the United States and Europe. Don Daniken is still alive, um, still fighting for his belief. He doesn't know. He admits he's agnostic, but he thinks there's a lot of evidence here that we can't overlook that. Our civilization in the past has been pretty advanced. And uh, who did build these damn pyramids and the Sphinx and the, and Stonehenge and the stone faces on Eastern Island when even today with our best technology we could not do this? So who did it and how did they do it? And, and the idea of slaves dragging 100-ton blocks, I mean, up ramps is a little silly. It's Nobody's been able to replicate this. 
And even today we have miracles we can't explain. We've got crop circles in England, for example. We've got all kinds of fantastic space phenomena that you don't hear about that um, can't just can't seem to be explained. So it begs the question, you know, was Jesus an astronaut? Was Buddha or Mohammed or Moses or Hermes, for that matter, were they space aliens? You know, it's unlikely, given the enormous distance between the stars and the planets, and if you work a little with some basic math and and some calculus and work out using Einstein's theories of relativity, what it would take. Um, I mean, we really would need a whole new understanding of how physics works to move mass at a fast enough speed, approaching the speed of light, to be able to have contact with beings from other solar systems. It's just impossible at sublight speeds, there, ha- there would have to be something faster than light, and we can't comprehend that or figure out how that could be. It just there's no room for that yet. So it's much more likely that um, this is us. That there may have been some very advanced races in the past, but that was us. And Jesus was born of a earthly mother. He's us, the Son of Man and the Son of God. Clearly, Moses, uh, the story even says he was found in a little basket as a baby in the reeds, right? And uh, Buddha, the story is he was a prince and received his enlightenment while meditating under a Bodhi tree in India. And They're us. There's nobody coming that isn't already here. What's coming that's alien to us? What's coming that is like a superhero or or a second coming, if you will, of a messiah? I would like to argue and and propose, because I don't know. Is a higher awareness of who you are and the kind of person that you're capable of being um, a higher self, a more unitive self that just because of the nature of your evolved heart, cannot separate yourself from the plight of humanity. And you see all human beings as brothers and sisters. And of course that very quickly spreads into the animal kingdom and then into the plant kingdom. And now you're an environmentalist. Who was it was telling me Oh, it was Carol this morning uh, was telling me that she read this article that a certain group of born-agains are criticizing James, Cam- James Cameron's movie Avatar as having a hidden agenda that because it was so pro-environment, it was really a pagan effort to destroy Christianity and force us to worship nature instead of Jesus. You know, um, there is that or again. If Jesus were here, wouldn't he want us to be caring for God's life support system? Uh, The idea that God doesn't care about 
the life support system <laughs> that that by all accounts and all religions was created even before human beings how could how could uh, a person of faith christian or otherwise see an environmentalist as being anti-religion or anti-god it's it's crazy but then how can people take religions based on fear and or based on love and preach fear. There's my Freudian slip for the day right there. Take a religion based on love and preach fear. You see, but it happens. We just don't know who we are, and that's what I'm throwing out today in this little essay, if you will, this webinar called Gods and Aliens, as I'd li- and, and we can throw in the superheroes as well, as I'd like to suggest that this longing for somebody to come and save us is really a longing to know yourself, to find the divine within you, to find the superpower in your heart through love, to care more about yourself, to be responsible for your life, to think for yourself, to question authority, to dedicate yourself, therefore, to service to humanity, to feed the hungry, house the homeless, and stop war forevermore. How can your life be about anything else? You say, well, just keeping my head above water financially. All right, I understand the struggle. I see some very, very rich people, extraordinarily rich people, fighting just as hard to keep their heads above water financially as the very impoverished people. I'm not sure money solves that problem. Okay, uh, And I know if you don't have, you don't think you have enough money, you're not going to have a whole lot of sympathy for some rich guy that, can't pay the mortgage on his five mansions, but emotionally at night you're you're both laying awake, worrying about how am I going to pay for this, the rich guy and the poor guy. Uh, maybe um, you know acquiring and possessing material things, as fun as that is, is not what it's about. Maybe the American dream is perverse. And maybe the only real American dream or dream that we should be having is a dream of how do I help those less fortunate? How can I feed the hungry? How can we get people to know that when you feed hungry people, the population rate goes down? And when you let them starve, it goes up because that's so counterintuitive and most people don't know that. Ask your friends. Nine out of ten of your friends will tell you that if people starve, there's fewer people to feed. It's like the Malthusian doctrine, you know, the rabbits and the foxes. And the fox population goes down, the rabbit population goes up, so now there's more foxes and then there's fewer rabbits and then there's... (laughs) Fewer foxes because the rabbits went down, and they find this point of equilibrium. It's not that way with human beings, because when your children begin to die from starvation, you have more children, and when they live longer, you have fewer children. So the best way to manage population 
to mitigate and control population is to feed and educate people. Feed the hungry. Next time somebody attacks America, what if we dropped bread and books instead of bombs? Nine out of ten people still look at me like I'm insane when I say that. They just can't seem to get their heads around that. You do what? I say, I would give, whoever supports the Taliban, I would give them bread and books and maybe some blue jeans and some DVDs of American movies. Elvis Presley. (laughs) I'm serious. Give them what they want. Uh, That's how the Taliban curries favor. They feed hungry people. Why are we so stupid? Well, I know why, because there's not profit in feeding hungry people. The profit is in starving them. Haiti was a disaster before the earthquake. New Orleans was an example of corruption and injustice and racism before Katrina. Gods and aliens, superheroes, that's you. It's inside you. It's your potential through love to develop your consciousness as love, as caring, as sympathy, as kindness and tolerance and generosity and recognizing that we are separate only in terms of appearance. But in fact, we are part of an ocean of consciousness, of awareness, an ocean of love, and you can't be separated. That's the longing. That's the tug on your heart. Be your own savior. And then they get together in groups. And I think religion is wonderful. It serves a need. And at least in terms of being like elementary school, providing stepping stones the parts that are reactionary and hateful, well, I don't even see them as religious. They just pose as religion. They may call the building a church, but if they're preaching hate and divisiveness and um, uh, tolerance of corruption and partisanship and, and uh, like I say, divisiveness, then they could be posing as a spiritual institution, but there's nothing spiritual about it. Okay. So if you like your religion, great. I'm glad. I hope I hope you get a lot out of it. If you love politics and current events, great. I hope you uh, enjoy being informed. I think it's essential that we have at least a modicum of information about current events to empower ourselves, to know what needs doing. But the bottom line, I think it's simple. I think we're we're going to dance or die. We're going to grow and change and improve and get better or not. So if growth and learning and healing is what it's about, if it's really that simple, life is growth, learning, Healing, stop, period, exclamation point, 
and let's get it on. Are you growing? Are you becoming the superhero, the space alien, the god that is in you as a potential? Are you developing yourself and putting yourself first that you may have more to offer to others? Are you working to help lift us from a you-or-me world to a you-and-me world where there is nobody called them? No one anywhere that is them, just us. There will always be, I suppose, some element of people who insist they are them (laughs) and not us. But that's okay. You can know that even though they don't get it, there's just us. And I like that play on words. Just us. Nobody here called them. Just us. Justice. The only path to peace. Where there is no justice, there can be no peace. So if we want to feed people, if we want to stop war, if we want the world to work, if we want it to be peaceful, we have to work for justice. We can't be taken sides. We need to be global citizens. And we can all love our country, and we can love our native ethnicity, and we can love the languages that we speak, and all the diverse customs that the various cultures provide. The more the merrier, the richer we are. And at the same time, it's just us. In all this wonderful diversity just like the ecosystem itself, unified through its diversity, a paradox. The strength of unity in an ecosystem comes from its diversity as the many diverse creatures in a life support system begin to die off. You lose that diversity, and eventually the ecosystem will collapse for lack of diversity. It needs uniqueness and diversity. Bucky Fuller used to describe the destruction of the environment as being like rivets popping out of an airplane. And imagine you're looking out the window and you see a, a rivet fly off the wing or out of the fuselage. But the airplane still maintaining its overall integrity, and you're flying through the sky, and whoop, there went another one, by golly, and there's another rivet that just let loose, and that's okay, we're still flying through the sky. Of course, there will be a point where that one last rivet lets loose, and the whole plane falls apart, and that's what we're approaching because of our ignorance and our selfishness and our insistence that it's going to take gods or aliens or superheroes, somebody else is going to have to come and save us. There's nobody coming, just us. That's my premise. That's my argument. And I'd really, at this point then, love to know what you have to say about it. You have a chat room. Some of you, I hope, have clicked on the chat button and gone into the chat room. By the way, when this 
uh, webinar concludes, I'm going to go to the chat room at theagelesswisdom.ning.com, N-I-N-G, theagelesswisdom.ning.com. That's a Facebook-type social net for listeners of this program and others interested in mysticism and metaphysics. And We have a 24-7 chat room over there, so I'll be headed over there when we, when we end because the chat room here for these classes starts about 15 minutes before class and then stops when, when we end the class. So I'll invite you to join us over there uh when we uh, when we conclude this class again that's the w's dot the ageless wisdom dot ning and like nancy i n g ning dot com the ageless wisdom dot ning dot com oh because of spammers i had to set it up so that i need to approve everybody that signs up so the first time you go there sign up and I'll approve you at the end of this conference or as soon as I get an opportunity to do that. And then come back and sign in. All right. So first time you go, you sign up. Thereafter, sign in. And you'll be able to join us in chat or post to the discussion group, uh, leave photos, videos, post music. Um, like I say, use the chat room 24-7 and have a lot of fun, and and we'll build this. We just started it a couple of weeks ago. We only have about 40 members, and I'd love to have you uh, join that. So we'll go over there as soon as we finish here. But if you want, you can use this chat room here. But to reach me, I want you to click on the button on the web that says Ask a Question. And if you're listening by web, you can type into the text box, include your name and city and be sure and hit the button that says Submit. And if you're on the telephone, all you have to do is press star 2. That will raise your hand, and we'll see if we can get to some telephone calls today, too. Let's see some folks on the telephone line here. And let's check the webcast. Let me see how many people we have coming in on the web, too. Good. Good. Uh, more people coming in on the telephone, too, than we have in the past. Most people still listening by web. Actually, 20 times <laughs> twenty times more people are listening to the podcast than listen to the event live. And that's cool. That's good, too. But I find that fascinating. I think there's something really cool about the live program. So um, let's go to the Q&A here. Let me find my way around, and we'll start with the text questions see what you folks have to say, what your comments are today. Um, Carol is with us from La Habra, and she's in the chat room, but she's all alone. She said, she, Carol suggested I mention it earlier. I told her I would, and then I forgot to. So, so much on the mind. Forgive me. You guys can always check that out in the future. Uh, from the United Kingdom. Southern England, Ginger Gilmore is with us today. Hello, Ginger. And she says, Aloha, Michael and Doreen. I've come to realize that everything is a story, that even time is an accepted story, and if so, then we can be our own creators of our own stories and choose which one we accept. Unfortunately, some of our stories are very deep and subtle, 
one of which the, uh, the story is the only reality. Not that reality is an accepted story. Love to you, and great to be able to tune in, Ginger. Yeah, it's so nice to hear from you, Ginger, and to know that we have this Internet, this cool Internet thing. Uh, to be responsible for your own story, yeah, that's a very nice way of saying it. Um, it it both limits our experience of reality so that we can take responsibility for the story, but also provides an opportunity, it seems, to expand our stories to be more inclusive of what's happening around the world. This is our world. This is our planet. And if you're good to draw a line someplace between you and other people or between your family and other families or between people who look like you and people who at first appearance don't look like you or people of your religion or who speak your language and draw a line between that and people who speak a different language or believe in a different religion. I mean, that's all... You are creating your reality uh, by the story that you tell. It's a good point. Thanks, Ginger. Phil in Canoga Park um, sent you an email about Peter Warby. Good, Phil. I'll check that. I appreciate the response. I used to work with a fella in Detroit in the early 1970s, a talk host named Peter Warby. And um, he's nationally syndicated now. And... Uh, Phil and I were exchanging some email about where are all these people going to go now that Air America is going down the tubes. Air America is filing Chapter 7 or Chapter 11 or whatever the, the heck it is. They're going bankrupt. And where are we going to be able to hear our uh, favorite Air America people? And Peter's one of them. And I wanted to see if uh, Phil could tell me where I can hear Peter these days. So. Peter, if you're still out there, apparently you are, doing doing your good progressive radio stuff, I'd like to hook up with you. And Honolulu, Bert's with us this morning. Hello, Bert. He says, hi, Michael. Recently I heard somebody on the news show describe another as a God-fearing individual, and of course he meant it as a compliment. Why would I be drawn towards something that I'm afraid of? Keep up the good work. And my best to you and Doreen. Aloha, Bert. Thanks, Bert. By the way, I got those John Wooden pyramids of success you mailed to me. And, and thank you very much for that. Um, you know, the truth is that there is an archaic meaning of the word fear that is best described perhaps as awe. Um, to be, well, the British would say gobsmacked. <laughs> to be, a hippie would say blown away. To be awestruck. Um, not to be frightened in the sense that we think of fear frightening or scaring us, but... Uh, a meaning of fear, as I say, now archaic. I don't know if that's technically true, but not too many people use the word fear when they mean awe. Born-agains have a song, they sing, my God is an awe, some God. 
my God, it's an awesome God. Sounds like a Valley Girl wrote it, but no, that's a <laughs> that goes back. That's what they're talking about, God fearing. But because the word is archaic or nearly obsolete, I think you're right, Bert. I think you make a good point. I think many of the people using it really believe that you're supposed to be afraid of your creator because so many people are afraid of their own parents, um, afraid of the father. Uh, I was always afraid of my father. I, I, uh, I knew... 5:20, 5:30 most evenings, maybe 5:45. I heard, I heard the car pulled in the driveway. I, I, I went looking for a place to hide. You know, that's just how dysfunctional it was. Uh, so I know what it's like to fear the father. And people who take God the Father literally and see the creative source of all things. The uh, the totality of consciousness as a being with a form and a body and a face and plus he's pissed he's angry and it's your fault it's all your fault uh, I'm sorry I think that's child abuse uh, I got it as a kid, not only at home, but in church. I, I remember as a kid of five or six years old, they've got you studying, and I was raised in the Catholic Church. They had us studying for our first communion, and we were told very clearly what horrible, bad children we were, that we were born sinners. And uh, I was a rather precocious child even then. I said, wait a minute, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, uh, it's not my fault that Eve ate the apple. Oh, yes, it is. And you're born with what Catholics call original sin. You're bad. And you've got to jump through these hoops in order to get good and uh, go to heaven. Otherwise, you burn in hell with all the other little babies. I was just so sick and twisted. And, of course, they finally started to take down the crucifix it has christ still on it and they put up sort of a protestant cross in a lot of catholic churches now but many of them still have this jesus figure hanging on the cross bleeding crown of thorns blood dripping off and you're told every sunday it's your fault that's your fault you did that i'm sorry that's child abuse where i <laughs> the way i see that so a lot of us are God-fearing, but it's interesting that originally what that really meant was awe, not fear. There's so much fear in Catholicism, uh, Christianity in general, has so much fear in it. And sexual repression, that's another thing, the amount of sexual repression among Christians, Catholics and Protestants, is mind-boggling. Because, again, if you repress your sexuality, I'm not saying there's something wrong with managing it. I think you know, our sexuality does need to be managed. But you manage it by facing it, by understanding it, by reading and learning all about it, by, by educating children, not pretending your teenagers are better off if they just don't know about this 
incredible drive, you know, that they're supposed to ignore, <laughs> ignore and deny. Uh, I promise you, your kids are, uh, you know, kids are having sex, whether they're educated or not. But to repress sexuality in the name of religion is perverse. It's just like, I, and I understand it. It's part of that binary thinking that we talked about earlier. Even Pythagoras taught that the number two, get this, you guys, Pythagoras, 500 B.C., the father of philosophy in the Western world, said that the number two is evil because the number one is good. If you're going to assign the number to God, it would have to be one. It can't be zero. Right? Then you're saying God is nothing. God has to be something. Actually, esoterically, God is no thing, but there's a difference between no thing and nothing. We'll save that for another lecture and <laughs> another day. So Pythagoras says, well, uh, God has, if God exists, and if it's going to be a number, it would be the number one. Not a separated one, not this one as opposed to that one, but the unified one, the only one, the big one, the whole one, right? The universe, the one-verse. Well, the number two, then, has to be evil because it stands in contradiction to the number one. So spirit is good and pure, and everything of the flesh is bad. And it's that simple. It goes back to wine, women, and song, or sex, drugs, and rock and roll is pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Uh, the, the idea that you feel good, if it feels good, it's got to be a sin. God doesn't want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to have great sex. Well, says who? By all accounts, I think God wants you to have great sex. But in the context of love, not as, uh, you know, some passing casual howdy-do. And uh, I think most people find that out sooner or later. Sex without love ain't all that it seems to be. Uh, let's take a couple of more here. And Irvine Robert uh, is what this says. Uh, hello, Robert, by the way. He says... Um, Many years ago, I decided to scrap all my assumptions in religious upbringing to determine for myself whether or not God exists. For me, the proof of God ex uh, God's existence was my beginning of spiritual discovery. And after studying philosophy and science, metaphysics, and various religions, I finally concluded that you cannot prove the existence of God. Ultimately, for me, after meditation and self-searching, I intuitively concluded God is not something which exists or doesn't exist, but which must be experienced, must be felt and sensed within. And God became for me then the uncaused cause from which everything was created. Everything came and is part of God, which means we are all part of God. And so my definition of God changed from a separate being to a being in which we all exist, or as you've said, Michael, all part of the same family. Yep, 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 yep. Very nicely said, Robert. That's so cool. 
And uh, that, that's really, uh, that really sums it up. Why believe when you can know? Why believe and argue and debate and proselytize? As if everybody who disagrees with you must be wrong. When all you have to do is have the simple, quiet, humble awareness of your own experience with the qualities of love. That's divine enough. It's experiential. If you want to read the Bible, the Koran, the Hebrew Bible, the Bhagavad Gita, the Sutras, all the other holy documents, I'm sure you're going to be stimulated and brought to an even higher level of awareness. But ultimately, it's experiential. And just between you and me, since most Christians don't read the Bible and don't know what it says anyway, what are they doing? They're going to church for fellowship. They're going to church as a social activity hanging around with what they think to be the highest quality of people, those who are willing to kneel before a higher power. And so I want to hang out with those people. But only if they believe in higher power in the same way I do. If their belief in a higher power is just a little different, then I think we'll fight war with them and kill them. Right? See, this whole debate, in the last couple of weeks about the American defense contract provider that puts New Testament Bible verses on the rifle scopes that it's building under contract to the U.S. government, that, that the serial numbers of the rifle scopes that they're making for the U.S. Army end in biblical verse numbers. What? They're still fighting the Crusades. Bush called it a crusade. And you wonder why the terrorists, uh, for their part in all of this, called it a jihad. So the war that's raging, and many wars are religious-based wars. It's just insane. How can I respect a religion that blesses battleships and guns? and bombs, as if God created this universe so that some part of it would kill off another part of it. What kind of God is that, that wants the people who believe in him the way he needs to be believed in, or even that he is a he and not a she, or torture and plunder and rape and murder the non-believers? That doesn't sound very godlike, does it? And yet it's got a lot of people fooled by the people going for that. Like Bert was saying, (laughs) God-fearing. We're going to do a visualization exercise. I want to go over to the phone side of things and see if we have anybody uh, who wants to join in. I see some people here who I really wanted, who I was really hoping would join in today, but I don't. Star 2 on your telephone touchpad if you want to uh, 
ask you a question. Let me give you a second. I know there's people here with questions, because a couple of you have asked me questions, and now here you are. All right. Let's <laughs> All right. I love using these telephones, but uh, it's hard to get people to do it. Let's uh, do our visualization exercise then and see if we can sort of integrate everything that we've talked about into a whole. If you close your eyes and relax, get comfortable, take a nice, slow, deep breath or two, filling your lungs with strength and power, and as you exhale, ah, just feel the letting go. Create and sense a letting go feeling. And as you allow your breathing then to find its natural rhythm, I want you to gently place your awareness on the bottom of your nose and just watch the natural in-breath and out-breath as your body breathes itself all by itself. giving yourself some time to become physically still and emotionally calm and mentally quiet. You become very relaxed, very peaceful, feeling really safe. If you like animals, imagine petting a dog or a cat. Think of times in the past when you relaxed and allowed yourself to just slowly pet an animal, a dog or a kitty. Maybe a maybe a bunny or a hamster, just petting that animal lowers your blood pressure, reduces your pulse, lowers the frequency of brain waves, quiets the mind and calms the emotional nature. And the beautiful thing about imagination when you close your eyes is that the brain doesn't know the difference between real or imagined. It thinks you're really petting the animal. Imagine how safe it must be for both you and the animal to feel so relaxed. And so what you do for the animal to make it feel safe and relaxed is exactly what the animal provides for you, allowing you to feel safe and relaxed. 
safe enough to begin to sense somewhere in your head, but even more likely somewhere in your body. A connection, not only to this pet, but to all the life forms on the planet, all the people, all the animals. And I'll bring to mind the beauty of the plant kingdom, the exquisite beauty of flowers, or an expanse of forest or jungle, prairie or desert, marsh or meadow. Feel the letting go. Feeling even more safe and more relaxed. In fact, I'd like to suggest that you think of yourself as sitting in a beautiful place like a forest or a warm, sunny meadow, sitting upon the earth, feeling this safe and this relaxed. And experiencing your love radiating out from the center of the circle. Radiating out, emanating in all directions, expanding. All by itself, effortlessly, you do nothing but let go. And imagine that letting go There's a feeling of warmth, of comfort radiating out gently in all directions. Radiating out through your family and your friends. Expanding in all directions until you imagine that your safety, your warmth, your kindness and generosity, your caring connects with every other human being on the planet. The entire kingdom of human beings is now included in this influence emanating from your peace your love, your harmony. And from there, imagine that love radiating out through the animal kingdom. Any pet that you currently care for. Include every pet you've ever had, though now deceased. Imagine your love 
though the animal may have died. Your love for that animal continues. Maybe even pets you had when you were a little kid you can remember now. And there, (laughs) you feel it, don't you? The animal died so long ago. And yet your love for that animal continues. Infinite and eternal. And embracing all of the other animals, all of the wild animals. In the animal kingdom, animals of all sizes, from the great whales to the smallest of mites and insects. The birds of the air and the fishes of the sea. Imagine your love and this sense of harmony, if not unity, radiating out through the human kingdom to include the animal kingdom, and now spreading, as you might expect, out through the vegetable plant kingdom. Your love of flowers, of your vegetable garden, of all the delicious fruit, of the trees and the forests and the jungles, the bushes and the grasses. And pause here just for a moment to acknowledge in your love of the plant kingdom, the so-called vegetable kingdom, that its relationship with human and animal is symbiotic. So that the plant kingdom absorbs the carbon dioxide, releasing oxygen, that the animal and human kingdom has oxygen to inhale, exhaling carbon dioxide, which the plants need. What miracle is this? As you embrace that harmony and imagine your love of life radiating even farther to include the mineral kingdom the earth and the moon and the sun and the stars the intergalactic gases the constellations to the edges of the universe the dirt and the rocks beneath your feet containing minerals which are used by the plants to grow so that when the animals and the humans eat the plants, they get the minerals from the mineral kingdom through the plant kingdom that all kingdoms need for a healthy life, for sustenance. What a miracle. A single universe, separated only in terms of appearance. A single universe, one life. And everything, seemingly separated thing in the one life, and the one life in every seemingly separated thing.
finishing by reminding yourself that you are at the center of this model, this map of the universe. Your responsibility is to know yourself, to grow yourself, to express yourself lovingly and creatively in service to humanity that they might do the same thing and embrace the one life in all of its forms and appearances. Know yourself, your true self, your authentic, genuine, higher self that you might grow that self and express that self in service to others. Dedicate yourself now, or rededicate yourself. Do whatever you can to help the people of Haiti, and to help the one in six children in the United States of America, right here, the one in six children right here, right now, who don't have enough to eat. Feed the hungry. Help house the homeless. Stop war. It's simple. What you have to do. And you have a life to live. But why restrict yourself to a separative existence and suffer the loneliness and suffer the alienation when there's so much opportunity to be of service? to make a difference in the world. Do whatever you can. Never discount your contribution. Your money, your time, even your attention, just to learn about something in service. And with this intention, this dedication, this rededication in mind, take a slow, deep breath. Hold as you peak, and then as you exhale, relax further and open your eyes now, wide awake and alert, feeling rested and refreshed and all re-energized and hopefully reoriented a little bit. You know, they start thinking your life is only about you. You're the most important person in it. You're in the center. You've got to be the main entree. You've got to be the president of your own fan club the captain of your ship and the master of your destiny, but only so that you can help other people. <laughs> if you try to help other people without developing yourself first, you don't have much to offer. And if you develop yourself but care nothing about serving others, then why bother? You see, it's really pretty simple. I want to thank you for being here. We're almost out of time. I'm going to back out of here quickly. Remind you, I'm going to go over to the chat room now on theagelesswisdom.ning.com. Let's be clear. My website is theagelesswisdom.com. The word the is part of the address. So the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com. But we have a special site we just set up. It's like Facebook. For listeners of this program and others who are into metaphysics and mysticism and such, and that's the w's dot the ageless wisdom dot ning dot com ning n like nancy i n g 
theagelesswisdom.ning.com. If you haven't been there before, you'll have to sign up before you sign in. I will need to approve you. That might take a little time at first. But then once I do that, you're in. It's free. Anytime you go to that site, you'll just log in or sign in once you've signed up the first time. And there's a 24-7 chat plus discussion forum, place for your photos and your videos. There's a music player in there. Uh, let's figure out what to do with it. But I'm going to stop by the chat room there if you want to meet me over on that side now. Theagelesswisdom.ding. Uh, no, not ding. Ning. <laughs> Theagelesswisdom.ning.com. And remember also, focusedpassion.com. That's where you can be a contributor and help us to pay the bills on all of these different sites and features. You'll get a special premium podcast, an audio program available as podcast or put right into your own built-in player at FocusedPassion.com. This is me and my partner of 30-plus years, Steve Snyder, doing a program called Finding Yourself in Paradise, really powerful personal development material. Six of them free, so just leave an email at FocusedPassion.com. Remember the E-D, that's the W's dot FocusedPassion.com, okay? And that way, for 99 cents a week, you can get this series of premium programs, add to your collection, and have the wonderful feeling of knowing you're helping to support this program and all of the free articles and, and the other podcasts and work that we're doing. Thank you so much. Appreciate you being here, and we'll see you down the calendar page. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui. <laughs>